listening to the CD Baby. CD Baby. CD Baby DIY Musician Podcast. Hey there, and welcome to episode number 128 of the CD Baby DIY Musician Podcast. My name is Kevin, and joining me for this roundtable edition is Chris and The Bolt. Hey guys, how's it going? Hey, hi, good. Great. <laughs> well, this this should be a, uh, a a fun and maybe entertaining, maybe sad podcast <laughs> because we're it's gonna got everything. We're we're gonna be talking about uh, how artists are making money from their music. I know a couple episodes back we were discussing the topic, but this time the whole episode is driven by your listener feedback and comments, which I find fascinating because I'm always interested in what artists are doing. And uh, what things are like in different cities, different countries, and uh, we have uh, some lots of lots of great comments and such to go along with that. Yeah, my my, my uh, take on it is uh, if I can make a preview, I think <laughs> I think we may spoiler the, alert. <laughs> the results may show that the the amount of depression you're going to feel after this uh, episode. Uh, depends upon the kind of music you make, not necessarily how well you make it. But I, that, I would I would say that that is probably correct. So it actually there was some uh, big highlights to me in getting all this feedback from artists, which I think is great. Um, but uh, before we jump into that, uh, how you know, are you guys doing? You know, we, well, well wait a minute. I, w- I, w- I would say it's not the kind of the mu- kind of music; it's the audience that you play to. Yeah. Okay. That's that's maybe a bad. That is way. a good clarification. <laughs> good clarification. But you guys doing good? Everything good? Every, yeah. You, I, I played a show last night and made very little money, so I'm I'm primed. For this <laughs> You're primed for this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody spat on you, did they? No, no, I didn't get spit on. But I played Monday night too, and I did make money then, so I'm kind you, of you, as a wash. You, you, this is just like. The perfect podcast for you to weigh in on right now. Yeah, I, I'm a, I'm actually pretty excited because uh, my band's going to get to record this year. We uh, my brother designs websites and he traded a website for a recording session with a uh, local um, recording studio. So that's cool. we're, we're going to do like eight songs, I think. And I are you? Allo- fi- oh, go ahead. I was wondering, are you allowed to say who? What studio? Um, you know, it actually slips my mind right now. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, so I don't know. I don't know if he has a reputation in town or not, but, um, but he's going to have a real nice website and hopefully we'll have a real nice album. Excellent. I finally got around to releasing a, an instrumental track I'd recorded a, a while ago and it's now up on iTunes. So go, go take a look at it. So it's not so lonely. Six, <laughs> six years lonesome, later. Right? Six years later, you know, yeah, I'm like Boston. You know, they they release albums every six, ten years. <laughs> no, it's the first track I ever did of just like completely solo. I mean, I had uh, uh, my friend Benji play bass on it, but uh, um, as far as like arranging and all that stuff, so um, maybe in another six years I'll have another one done. <laughs> trying to pace myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> Don't want to burn out. We are the weekend warriors. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Well, um, let's get into some news items. Well, speaking about making money from touring and playing live, it's going to be much harder for 
U.S.-based artist to head up to Canada and try to make a living from touring there. According to the Calgary Herald, the Canadian government is making things even more difficult than they already were for non-Canadian bands looking to tour in that country. New legislation took effect at the beginning of August that will as much as quadruple the cost for international artists to perform in Canadian clubs, bars, restaurants, coffee houses, and more. The Calgary Herald says, Many bar owners, booking agents, and promoters are bemoaning changes to the federal regulations surrounding foreign workers entering Canada, which will see them hit with heavier financial burdens that could deal a crippling blow to live music at the club level. The regulations require that any venue with a primary business other than music, but which also books bands or performers, must now pay an application fee of $275 per musician. Ugh. And those traveling with the band, tour manager, sound person, guitar tech, etc., when it applies for a labor market opinion, or LMO, to allow those outside workers to perform and work in their establishment. That's also in addition to an extra $150 for each approved musician and crew member's work permit. Prior to the changes, the fee was simply $150 per band member, maxing out at $450. And that was a one-time fee for them to simply enter the country, which allowed venue owners across Canada to share the nominal cost or book them separately at no extra charge. In Pandora news, Pandora has won a federal court decision rejecting efforts by ASCAP and some music publishers to define the license that enables Pandora to play their music. The judge decision effectively prevents artists from removing their music from digital service licensing music under federal statutes. The decision upheld an existing decree that required ASCAP to license music to Pandora from 2011 to 2015. This means that publishers and their songwriters are not permitted to strike separate market-driven deals with Pandora if they're also a member of a collecting society like ASCAP. The decision also seems to bolster Pandora's attempt to renegotiate the royalties it pays to rights holders and comes just as its toughest competitor to date, iTunes Radio launches. With all the Pandora news, it's a perfect segue into the arrival of iTunes Radio, which many are calling the Pandora killer. iTunes Radio is similar to Pandora in that it's a non-interactive streaming service, which means you can't select specific tracks to listen to like you can with services like Spotify. Unlike Pandora, iTunes Radio has direct licensing deals with all the content aggregators, so royalties will be paid through your distributor. So if you're a CD Baby artist, that means your iTunes Radio money will come through CD Baby as opposed to SoundExchange. Many worried that this would kill off more of the music-buying habits of music fans, but one nice feature of iTunes Radio is how it's so integrated into the iTunes software, making it very easy for listeners to buy music. It's still too early to tell if people will adopt iTunes Radio, but we'll definitely be watching to see what happens in the next couple months. And that's the news. So I've asked a few people who have tried iTunes Radio, and so far everyone who's tried it has, including myself, has said that the the selection that they give you is kind of off base. It's not really, it's not like Pandora. It's not, I mean, I my experience was I put in my own band, Nervous and the Kid, and we're like a folky indie band and they started playing like hip hop dance music. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I had I mine my mine wasn't as extreme, but uh I put in uh small town poets and it seemed to be just playing bands that were out at the same time. It definitely wasn't stuff that like if I do the same thing on the 
the on Pandora, the the results I get are very much more music match related. Where you know I've never been impressed with iTunes Genius software. It's okay, but Pandora definitely has a leg up on um, what you know the the algorithms they're using in order to serve up music. It's a much richer experience, in my opinion. I haven't used it much, iTunes Radio, that is. But uh, they, they have this little bar where you can kind of scroll where if you one end is hits. So in my opinion, if you, if you have the little bar over on hits, you're going to get basically hits from that genre. Yeah. Anything that's classified with that genre. And then you go to the middle where it says variety, and on the far right it says music discovery. But still, a lot of their, their choices seem to be genre-based, time period-based, sales-based. Sales, right. Yeah, and so it wasn't really like uh, matching up song for song or style for style or, th- or things like that. So um, we'll see. I'm sure they're going to keep working on it. It's going to be a popular service because it's built in, but uh, I find myself enjoying the discovery aspect of Pandora far more than I did with my iTunes trial. Well, and they've got and the I'm, whole human interaction. You know, it's it's curated. It's they're very hands on at Pandora. Yeah. So that makes sense that they're making better recommendations. I'm also just kind of surprised that Apple again sort of releases something that seems a little more beta to begin with, when um, they're sort of known for for launching polished products. Well, I think the interesting thing will be if there is long term user adoption because. You know, I think a lot of the diehard Pandora users have loved the music discovery aspect of it. And even people that you may not even really uh, be really know that that's going on in the background, they may start seeing some of the, the, the differences by when they switch to iTunes radio that it being a little more plain. But, you know, they'll, they'll, I would assume they'll be making um, constant upgrades to it. And I haven't tried it on a mobile device yet. I have a feeling that iTunes radio is really designed for a mobile experience and I need to mess around with it more, but I found myself listening and going, I'm just going to jump back over to Pandora because this doesn't seem related to what I entered in as much. And, um, and I don't know, it just wasn't. Now are they, it's is it ad free? Yep. So that's one advantage they have over Pandora and they don't have to I mean, they Wait, could. I, I think it, it's only ad-free if you're an iTunes Match subscriber. Isn't that right? Oh, really? Oh, I, I'm an iTunes Match subscriber, so I Otherwise, didn't, I, I, didn't I think heard there that are specific. ads. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. That would make more sense. Um, but, uh, yeah. yeah. I'm an iTunes Match subscriber, so um, uh, don't get me started on iTunes <laughs> Match. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I mean... Uh, you know, the thing that was cool that I've I've now is kind of a go-to whenever I'm thinking about bands that I sound like, typing in Pandora or like, you know, looking for bands. Like, I want to find out, you know, that's how I got on that whole Pandora kick was trying to figure out some, uh, one, see if Hello Morning was in Pandora, but also it started turning up some results. I'm like, these are some really cool bands that sound like us in a way where this would make, you know, I would love to go on tour with all these bands. It'd make a good bill. So now it's kind of had me thinking, okay, that's, yeah, we are kind of like that band or this band, and I would have never pulled that out otherwise. But mm. anyway, um, lots of stuff going on with Pandora, though. Uh, ASCAP went on a full offensive attack after that court ruling. They emailed all their users saying, um, 
something like Pandora stealing from songwriters, something very aggressive, oh. which surprised me. And uh, you know, um, it's 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 going to be interesting. Again, we've we've talked through the issues, and and I think there's multiple sides to the story. And uh, we actually have some feedback from artists about Pandora that we'll be using in our next episode. That so, if you have uh, feedback you want to uh, give us about your Pandora experiences, we're still accepting those. Or or your. Um your iTunes radio experiences as well. Yeah, yeah, send those as well. It, you know, like I said, with the iTunes radio, those payments will be coming through CD Baby, which is, you know, kind of uh, coinciding with the launch of that and this this uh, Pandora um, decision. Uh, basically, ASCAP wanted, and the people of that are, you know, have giant catalogs in. Um, uh, in Pandora wanted to be able to do direct licenses and some of them had uh, like the, the article listed a bunch of them like Sony and a few others but this decision made those um, those agreements void saying they violated the law because the statute that's there says that um, ASCAP has to have a direct license till 2015 and so you can't make it an other arrangements otherwise so if you're an ASCAP artist, it's similar to how, you know, uh, regular radio stations have a blanket license, then they can play anything in those catalogs. That's what Pandora has. And so they said all those other arrangements couldn't be made until this law expires um, or is struck down. But iTunes, because they're new, they just went the route of doing direct license deals. So they're kind of cutting sound exchange out of the loop and uh, just paying aggregators directly. So going to be interesting the next couple of years how all this licensing shakes out and uh yeah so and if you're american coming. don't think you're going to go to canada and steal good hard-working canadians jobs <laughs> that's right so that is quite a blow to u.s artists uh traveling to canada tour in fact on the article that you wrote chris and posted on our blog somebody commented saying you know, that's how that's the reason why they, they just had to cancel um, the part of their tour that was going to Canada. Mm -hmm. Or either it was on the blog or they responded on Twitter, but I saw them talking about that. And that's a, a big blow. Basically, any artist who's not a bigger name will no longer be able to tour in Canada. That's ridiculous. Well, if, they, a... if they're not trying to sneak across the border with like a guitar under their buried under their backpack or something, but... Well, it's the club owner. It's not necessarily having you know the 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 music you know the the gear. It's the club owner can get in trouble for not paying those fees. I mean, they're working. They can't pay you. You can go up there and play for free. Right. Um, that's not an issue. It's when you go up there and get paid. And but but they'll interrogate you at the border if they see you have music equipment. Oh yeah. Yes. Yes. I have been to Asia, South America, and Africa, and Europe. And I will have to say the scariest, most crazy border customs people are the Canadian border. <laughs> I don't know why they're so strict. Everyone's man, trying to go there. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just funny because people uh, kind of assume, oh, U.S., Canada, it's kind of the same country. Man, it is, it is, uh, it is tough to get 
I mean, you can get into Canada, but they they give you the once over before you go go into the country. Oh, when I when I flew there last or no this year for Folk Alliance, I brought my guitar and I played a couple showcases while I was there. I figured if I'm going to go for work, I might as well play. And they saw the guitar and they really, really were were thoroughly researching CD Baby as as a company and whether we actually had a marketing presence at this conference festival thing. It was That's so yeah. funny. It was just bringing a guitar. I know. (laughs) Go somewhere with my guitar. Yep. Yep. I was like, really? No, we have paid a Canadian business to be here. I promise. So, uh, Canada, you'll no longer be getting U.S. exports, but uh, (laughs) don't worry. You can still send us Nickelback, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Actually, they can take their Nickelback. (laughs) (laughs) I need a rim shot thing. Okay. Well, we got lots lots of listener feedback, so let's just uh, hit right into it uh, about how artists are making money from their music. And I know Chris and Bolt, the Bolt, I almost forgot the part of the name, the Bolt. <laughs> Don't you forget it. It's the Bolt. Um, does your mom call you the Bolt? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Haven't earned that status yet. So let's, uh, you guys both have some of the comments. Um, off the, the blog, I've got uh, an email, and then we have some calls. So let's just jump right into some of them. And so, uh, Chris, you want to lead off with with uh, sure. either some observations or just read some comments, and let's hit let's hit into it. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess I could start with a generalization, which was that there were a lot of people who were um, saying uh, that fit into one category, which was that they'd say, "I'll work for." usually between $75 and $150 per hour. That was like one kind of musician. Then there was another tier of people that was pretty common to say, I'll work for 100 bucks a night, whether that meant two or three hours, what I'm not really sure. And then there was a whole group of people that were like, get paid, what? Um, I just pay for free and I'm happy to get a drink ticket. Um, but one of the really kind of niche specific examples that I found interesting, which might not apply to a whole lot of people in the continental U.S. or in the lower 48, rather, but um, a woman from Alaska said she has a minimum guarantee of $400 per show for original music. Um, She plays in a town that's a fly-in-only village on the Yukon River, Um, so if I'm not already touring nationally, clients pay for all flights in addition to the minimum guarantee per show. If I'm already on the road, I spread out flight costs amongst all venues. Um, if the client wants a band version, they charge more. But um, and then she does door sales, bring in four hundred to a thousand per show. Um, so that was kind of interesting. She gets people to pay for her flights too. Uh, and that was in where? Else? In, in Alaska, Alaska, yeah. Um, I mean, essentially, because she can't get to these places any other way. Um, and she really, I guess, I guess their uh, music is. Is uh, you know it's a little bit scarce. Yeah, it's scarce. So you get you have to pay for scarcity. Yeah, well, and you a know? lot of those shows are um, tend to be either house shows or put on by a fan, and they invite a really receptive audience who'll pay and 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 pay for merch and stuff. She really tries to stay away from your typical like music venue club situation. You know, uh, I went to Alaska probably about 10 years ago with my brother, and um, we went into a music store, and the guys in the music store just looked so excited when we came in. (laughs) People. (laughs) We haven't seen people in six months. (laughs) (laughs) And 
the one of the first questions they asked us is if we played music and we were like yeah we're in a band together actually and they offered us a gig <laughs> right there wow. they hadn't heard of some music well, well, i mean scarcity i mean that's the yeah. thing it's like certain cities that that's why i was fascinated by you know chris you were talking about people that were there was one camp that was like get paid i can't get paid and it was a lot of them didn't necessarily say what town they were in but it was interesting because some of those you would assume might be just some small town with no music scene but then you could also make the assumption that it was some major music market that there's so many bands that it's just easy to get people to play for free. Mm -hmm. um, so it's kind of interesting to hear. So before we dive into some of the specific comments, you played two shows this week, uh -huh. and you said they were different. Where where do you fall in in this spectrum, and how did you gauge whether, you know, you said you got paid for one and not well, for another? Well, I mean, honestly, I'm at a point in my music-making life where I'm I have no guiding theory. I just sort of, I'm not making a whole lot of live music. So when I do, I'm kind of more looking just to have a little adventure and fun and play with friends. So the, the first, the show I did on Monday, um, was in Boston. I played with a friend. I drove down there. It was about an hour and a half drive. Um, I only, there was really short sets. They were like 35 minute sets, but I had a guarantee of $60 and I sold some merch. Um, so, you know, I had gas money and, uh, that was fine. It was a little adventure. Um, and then, you know, 60 bucks for 30 minutes of music. Uh, not bad. And then last night was in my, where I'm living now, Portland, Maine. And, uh, it was kind of, it was sort of, it was a lot of fun, but it was sort of disastrous. There was almost no one there. It was super late show. Uh, so there was no money. And uh, no money. Drink, some drink some, tickets. Some on our blog would say you're part of the problem. Oh, I I am, but for sure, for for, for <laughs> I, I, I accepted those terms. But they did say um, when we booked the show, there's a there's a built-in crowd. There's a big comedy night here um, beforehand, and all those people always stick around for the music, and it'll be great. It's awesome. Come in and play. You get a percentage of the bar if it's you know above some minimal thing. Um, and then we showed up last night. There was no one there and they were like, Oh yeah, we canceled the comedy night. And, uh, <laughs> I had asked my girlfriend before, I was like, I'm kind of worried cause, um, I haven't done the amount of promotion I would normally do for a show because it felt a little like hurried and rushed together. She's like, she said too, Oh, don't worry. That's like a big, uh, they've got a built in crowd you'll be fine. So I, then I showed up, I was like, Oh God. <laughs> but i did get well, paid in two free drinks two free drinks well you know that's two free drinks you didn't have before yeah. <laughs> and you know that doesn't sound like i mean it sounds like i mean there's certain things that happen that are just out of your yeah control. that was that was more of a judgment call i mean that wasn't like making a bad choice because that could have been a good business decision if if the if the comedy show had actually gone on right yeah yeah. Well, so why don't you read a couple of comments from, from the blog of what some of the artists uh, that responded were weighing in with. Okay. Um, well, I, I could also, um, two of those people that had said that there's no money in it, both made original music. It sounded like the kind of like rock or indie rock, hard rock maybe. And they were in Seattle and Chicago and basically said that those um, cities are so saturated that clubs can just, like you're saying, get away with having the bare minimum, which is a crappy PA, 
maybe a stage and they throw you in the corner of the room for 45 minutes to an hour and uh, pay you nothing at the end except beer. Um, so that was that was a fairly common sentiment. Then there was um, uh, Adam JP wrote in. He said, it's funny, I'm getting paid around $2,000 a week to do seniors shows locally at retirement villages, nursing homes, and seniors groups. No bars, no clubs, and no poor economy to affect the market. <laughs> and because people keep getting old, you have an ever-growing market to sing to. And if you do it really well, uh, they'll pay you a fortune to get you back regularly. I bet those shows get wild. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I mean, to to the fact that we're going to have more old people on this planet than we ever had with the baby boomers um, going gray, I think that um, it's just going to be a widening opportunity for there, musicians. There you go. There you go. My dad has actually been uh, playing accordion at a retirement home near his house, and oh. I think they pay him, pay him a couple hundred bucks. I don't know. He just does it for, you know, for the heck of it. But Well, and the good news is, like, if you probably got that gig 10 years ago, you'd have to learn a lot of Sinatra and uh, Bobby Darren and stuff. But now you could probably start playing some classic rock and some Elvis and appeal to that demographic. They, they, yeah. they still ask for, every time he gets asked to play, uh, what's the theme from uh, Moonlight? Not Moonlight. Was it Fly, yeah, Fly Me to the Moon or something? Or that that movie Cher was in, uh, Moonstruck. Mo- yeah. I, no, I don't know. I'm thinking it all wrong. Something like what you were saying. <laughs> he still gets uh, asked to play just some like classic accordion songs that you know. Like really, they asked for that. Aren't those people dead? <laughs> so no matter what generation you're from, as soon as you reach 75, your music cha- uh, tastes shift too. Apparently so, and you start wearing polyester pants. <laughs> yeah, and you just want to hear accordion music. <laughs> yeah, <so>. um, <laughs> but uh, that was a side note. Continue Yeah, on. so then we've got Nathan King, who writes in, sounds like he's in a Christian hard rock band, which, you know, if you can play at churches, that's always great. So he says, average for our band is currently around $500 per show. Uh, usually Christian church camp events provide the biggest guarantee. And uh, that's its like own built-in s- audience there. I will say the the weird paradox that exists as uh, having come from that that world is that you could be a nobody band and be getting paid five hundred thousand dollars and then a a, a a gig and maybe even more depending on the event. Like you're saying, camp sometimes you know you can they'll pay you to be the house band for the whole camp and you might make even more, but. Uh, contrast that with a same uh, a similar band in your town who's got a great following in the local clubs and building an audience and getting like 200 bucks <laughs> a night if they're lucky it's just this weird thing yeah. um but what again it's it's appealing to a very particular audience so, yep yep uh and then we have uh irish harp girl i actually don't know what her her real name is, but she says, I'm in the San Diego area. I play solo harp and vocal music and also have a band that does mostly Irish music, but we can do classical, classic rock, or oldies, pretty much anything. I bid 250 for the first hour and 100 for each additional hour for myself. Uh, it's $100 extra for each band member per hour. I would assume that she's probably playing places like, I don't know, if it's harp, based maybe hotels conventions weddings 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 yeah yeah. so i think that the the secret that we're learning is that you need 
you need to play at Christian retirement homes and you need to play harp music. While two people are getting married. <laughs> Weddings at Christian retirement homes. They... You know, my, my favorite story was the, uh, was the band Blue Simon. Um, their story is good that they, that they wrote in the comments, but I, I couldn't help but actually go to their website and check them out. Uh, they're very good. Um, 70s style rock band. They dress up, play the part. Um, on their website, there's a story how they're actually from the future. Um, their time machine crashed um, in 2013, and they're playing 70s rock music in order to get enough money to fix their spaceship and go back to the future, their time ship to go back to the future. So um, the fact that they're making pretty good money per gig is good because it's probably going to cost a lot of money yeah, to, that, to fix be, that spaceship. Big repairs. Um, but they they said they typically get paid $600 to $1,000 a night um, for a four-hour show. They set up their own sound and light system. Um, they play around 120 shows a year. Um, it's a mix of originals and covers. And um, they sell out their CDs. They usually get about 2,000 CDs uh, pressed. And uh, merchandise sales go really well for them. Um, they uh, currently average just under $500 in merch on a two-night weekend. What that basically looks like is probably about $100,000 a year, which is pretty good for a band. Um, Maybe even more. Yeah. But, you know, the, the tough thing is if you got four guys. That's $25,000 each, Then right? taxes and, but, you know. Uh, we actually have a call from Aaron from Blue Simon. It's funny that you honed in on that comment because he's going to tell us a little bit more. So we'll get to that call right oh, now. Oh, cool. Hi, Kevin. This is Aaron Shoemaker. I'm with the rock and roll group Blue Simon. We're a regional touring act based out of Omaha, Nebraska. I was giving you a call because uh, I saw the article on the DIY musician website, how much money are you making from your live shows, and I was uh, calling up to answer some of the questions if I'm not too late. Um, I would, I'll go ahead and answer them real quick on the voicemail so you got them. How much are you getting paid per show? We get between 500 and and $1,000 on special shows. We're doing uh, upwards of 1200 and we are growing that uh, currently at the time. What kind of gigs are earning the most money? Those tend to be gigs in bars or uh, what are traditionally cover bars. We are a hybrid band. We play originals and covers, and we're able to play the same places as these cover bands and also uh, sell out CDs while we're doing it. How do you negotiate with club owners, promoters, or event planners to determine your fee? Well, typically I start with well, a higher price point, so I have room to negotiate down, but I do have a bottom price about how much we'll get paid, and we go from there. Do you ever play for free or for drink tickets? No, I believe that playing for free is part of what is ruining this industry and keeping quality musicians from being on the stages. Uh, our competition right now is movies and television and video games and sports. And right now they're a lot more organized and they have a lot better quality than the live music game. Uh, at least the live music game at the top is doing all right, but anywhere in between is kind of crapshoot. Should out-of-town bands get paid more? Yes. If they are good quality, they should. While this can seem like a backwards thought, by bringing 
bring in good quality, you boost the brand of your venue and therefore boost your brand among your community. You become known as a place for a good time. You aren't dependent upon bands drawing. You draw just because people know that you are going to put quality entertainment on the stage. A lot of times this involves bringing bands in from out of town that are good acts. And this involves paying them some more money so that they can uh, be able to practice and work on putting together great shows at home and they can cover gas costs. Well, I only play if there's a guarantee. Uh, yes, this is typically how we function. Uh, we got to make money and we got to know that we're going to make money. How well are we doing on merch sales? We are sold out of our CDs. We're constantly selling out t-shirts and we're averaging a little under $500 uh, for two nights on merchandise sales. Yep. So there you have it. Lou Simon, calling from the future, probably. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and these guys probably have some other some other ways of making money in, in addition as well. I mean, because it's only, well, I guess it's a four-hour show, but it's not an eight-hour show. <laughs> you know, you know another, another thing that that kind of highlights to me, um, and, and kind of, you know, when we were talking about this, that uh, I think yesterday or something, they were talking about a lot of, Bands, they're either playing, or you said bands playing 45 minute sets can't make money. And then there's the other spectrum where it's like playing for three, four hours. I, my wife was sitting there watching the part one of the Beatles episodes of Glee last night. And I was reminded that, you know, uh, you know, back when the Beatles were starting out, that's what they did to get things. I mean, they spent hours and hours playing covers and originals and releasing more of like singles but i don't know if that's necessarily a direct correlation to what you can do today but but the idea of that you know the frustration i had with playing the shorter sets while you know we you weren't going to get paid as much a lot of times in a club but the other frustration to me is i felt like we weren't given the opportunity to really stretch our legs and get better live yeah. which then in turn usually helps draw an audience and make you better and and get get uh, really good performing live so you can command a higher price tag for those shows. Um, that was my kind of frustration with the everything's a 45-minute set or we'd get a big money gig that was like, oh, can you guys play for three hours? I'm like, three hours? Yeah. <laughs> I've done. We never get asked to, we barely get to play 45 minutes. How are we going to pull together a three-hour show? I've done enough three-hour shows now over the past couple of years like by myself that I actually prefer that now. Um, I, but they pay better, but then also I like the just the experience of figuring out what songs work the best, so that when I go back to a forty-five minute set, I can pick the, you know, the ones that I'm performing most, the ones that connect the best. So, yeah, yeah. the The interest, interesting thing I I heard an interview with uh, the manager of the band Imagine Dragons. Um, the manager is actually the lead singer's brother. Uh, Apparently, the lead singer from that band was the only brother in the family not to be a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, he was talking about the band and like they started out, I think it was in Vegas, um, and they would be playing places where, you know, they're just the sideshow of, you know, people playing slots or whatever. And they would just play for like four or five hours and that they got so good and the lead singer developed himself into such like a commanding front man through that experience because you had to do something if you wanted people to pay attention to you because they got all these other distractions 
that it really developed them into a, 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 a dynamic, at least a dynamic front man. And really, when they started connecting with people, they had this show that was amazing. I have not seen their show. I have, I've, I've know of their a couple of their songs, but so I don't know if uh, that is true or not. But it, it was kind of an interesting thing of like using that opportunity, going, hey, this kind of sucks. I'm playing a long show for nobody, but I'm gonna try and use it to if I can get five people. Yeah. you know, interested that no, that just tells me that I'm improving as a front man, as a, or as a band, we're improving. And, uh, you know, at, since they were playing for casinos, I'm sure they were probably getting paid decently. Now, one thing I will say that sort of struck me about watching a video of, again, I'm going back to this blue Simon band, um, watching, th- I watched one of their YouTube videos and they commanded the stage in a way that made me feel like, yeah, they were worth paying that amount of money for because they looked like a really entertaining band. They were doing, they had synchronized moves, they had the costumes, they had, they had their own home-baked light show. Like, you're going to have fun when this band plays at your gig. And that's the, you know, and they had a really nice website presenting that idea too. Mm. Yeah. So I, I think that, sometimes that sort of extra presentation just little, makes you worth a little more money. salesmanship. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're not, you know, they're, they're having fun to their audience, but you know, how many artists actually use their website as a sales tool, as opposed to just like putting their information up. I mean, you could have a nice website, but you could also do some things that make it sound like, Hey, you want, uh, depending on who you're targeting, I would say, but you could use your website a little bit more strategically to actually try to encourage people, let them know what they're going to get when you come play a show. And if you deliver on what you say they're going to get, then you'll be able to command, uh, command more money you know, it's, and get some it, great testimonials. It's really easy to forget that in Portland, Oregon, I think. Uh, yes, it is. Because <laughs> it's such an indie <laughs> DIY punk rock aesthetic kind of town that Screw you! You're not in our clique. I don't want to hear what yeah, you. Yeah, and to no say. one. I mean, showmanship is kind of frowned upon there, in, in a way, I think. Um, Unless you're being ironic, right, right, right. So it's 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 refreshing for me to hear the stories of these people who really put a ton of effort into making a show. And yeah, yeah, you know the the thing. Well, I've jo- enjoyed living in Portland, Portland for uh, the sake of creativity. As far as going to shows. There's a lot of great local bands, but half the time I go to the show and I feel like I, I would have rather just sat at home and listened to their album because they didn't offer me anything live just because of that showmanship or or it's you can't talk to the audience or, you know, there's some of that vibe. I, there's some bands that are, you know, getting away from that uh, here in town. We actually had some great bands at our CD Baby showcase for uh, um, for the Music Fest Northwest here in town that I thought put on for the the venue it was did some uh, had some showmanship and did a great job so um you know it, it's it's just one of those things it, it diff, it's different where you live you know it there's different different vibes in different cities speaking of different places where you live i've got a, a email um from martin in Aust- austria I almost said australia but austria that's in europe for those of you who failed geography <laughs> <laughs> Um, and you know, there's, I've, I've toured a little bit in Europe and there's definitely different laws and things and how the, the, the whole ecosystem works in different countries. And so I thought it it was fascinating to hear, um, about the music scene in Austria and, uh, how artists, how much artists are making there. So I'll read it. It's a bit lengthy. 
but I think you'll find the, the information interesting. So he writes, I've just listened to episode number 125 and thought you might be interested in what it's like here in Austria and a bit of Germany and Switzerland. My perspective is both as an artist and also club booker, plus I've also made some experiences booking shows for my own bands. I can relate to most stories and experiences told on the podcast and see many similarities between the two markets, but also some differences. Bars, restaurants, these kind of gigs, not concerts, but more background entertainment, only exist in the more tourist-centric areas in the west and south of Austria, but are nearly non-existent in the rest of the country in bigger cities like Vienna, Graz, etc. Germany might be comparable to Vienna, whereas Switzerland, again, has the touristic areas and therefore more similarities. Generally speaking, audience in GSA, which is uh, Germany, Switzerland, Austria, it's kind of a, gets grouped in as a territory, they call it the GSA territory, are more used to attending concerts and really listening, which also attracts lots of bands from overseas. Clubs, the club scene is happening mainly in the cities with few exceptions in the more rural areas. What's probably the biggest difference are cultural support programs from communities, the state, or even the government. They take the financial pressure from venues and give promoters the chance to pay at least small fees of 200 to 500 euros to bands. While the money provided drastically got cut down in the past 10 to 15 years, there are still a few clubs that are able to pay 1,000 euros to an average indie band while keeping the entry fees low. On the other hand, there are more and more clubs that can't offer more than 70-30 deals, which oftentimes won't be more than gas money. Festivals, radio, and TV. There are a few large festivals with 98% international acts and hardly any national bands. This is a really big problem next to national public service television and its own mainstream radio, OE3, which a market share, has a market share of 45%, completely ignoring any kind of popular music in Austria, which makes it nearly impossible to reach wider audiences. Like, everything, like everywhere else, they rely on casting shows and the typical mainstream acts like Rihanna, Bruno Mars. A big exception here is Radio FM4, also a national public service and specialized alternative mainstream, including everything from indie rock to hip-hop and electronica. While this is really helpful for these genres to gain recognition, in the end they've got a 4 to 5% of the market share in national radio in Austria. So that's nothing really to build a business on. One very important income for musicians here are performance royalties for both for composers and performers, and he lists there two societies, AKM and LSG. In the past nine years, I've had several singles on Radio FM4 and one on OE3, played an average of maybe 20 shows a year and earned two to 3,000 euros per year in royalties. That's nothing to make a living from, but at least that's money to invest in album production costs. Last but not least, there's a support program for album production, maximum of 15,000 euros, and tour support, maximum of 1,000 euros per show, or 10,000 euros in total. This is really helpful for a soloist like me to go on tour with a band, which wouldn't be possible otherwise. So that's all the information he sent. I thought it was fascinating just to hear how things are different in Austria. It's kind of, uh, if he had had those same performance amounts in the U.S., he wouldn't be getting near as many royalties. Maybe 20 bucks. Maybe yeah. 20 cents. <laughs> but yeah, so I believe Canada has some programs for uh, musicians as well that kind of help uh, allow them to supplement their income and play shows and, and even support for making music in general, like just making a record. It's, and um, I know I spoke at a 
Canadian conference once, and they were referring to that all the time and all the different things you had to do in order to to qualify. And it seemed pretty easy, actually. Oh, I always assumed those things were like really long grant writing type projects. Well, you do have to submit something, but it really was like any of us here talking could get one easily. It was like at least some amount of money. Um, if you have made a record and distributed it uh, nationally in Canada and even internationally and are going to make another one, that was like an instant qualification from what I recall. Wow. Um, you CD Baby, you're in. Yeah, so that was one of the things. I'm like, yeah, if you have an album on CD Baby, that you're totally covered for that that. Uh, you know, qualification. And they so, can they can um, afford to do that for their citizens because they don't let Americans into the country. That's right, because because easily. they're they're gouging their club owners in order to let the American music, which is what they really want, well, to come into their country. Well it's not just Americans, right? It's anybody who wants to tour through Canada. Yeah, yeah, yeah not charged. just Americans. But but Americans are the ones that are gonna be hit the hardest because I mean like if you live in Detroit and some of those uh in like Buffalo and and even some places in the Northeast, it's not a long journey to go to well, Canada. A lot of Seattle, um, Bellingham here, people in Washington go up. To- yeah, yeah. I mean, here on the West Coast, I mean, Vancouver, BC is a massive city, and it's from Seattle. It's just uh, like an hour and a half drive, not counting the border time, and you know that's a market that you're basically cut off from. So. Yeah, I imagine it would be heartbreaking if you had spent some time over the years building an audience over there in certain cities, and you just weren't able to ever come back again. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it would be it would the whole concert scene goes underground. <laughs> <laughs> so those we uh, really appreciate everyone weighing in. I, th- I find all this fascinating because it's just you know while on one end of the spectrum you'll find somebody who's angry and upset because they can't make any money. Um, you, on the other end of the spectrum, you hear some, some stories of people that are, that are doing some really cool things. And I think maybe if, uh, the folks on the bottom end take some advice from the folks on the top end, maybe we'll all meet in the middle. <laughs> sounds like socialism, Kevin. No, but before we wrap up, we have one more phone call that, uh, we need to get to. So here it is. Hi, Kevin and, uh, guys there at, uh, DIY podcast. This is Chip Richter calling uh, from Ohio. I do music for kids and families. And I just, I'm just actually driving home, I'm driving back from a gig, um, and I listened to the podcast, uh, the, the most recent podcast about uh, getting paid. And um, I just wanted to chime in. And uh, I do a lot of uh, the venues I do because I do music for kids and families are maybe a little different than a lot of the bands who play clubs. And it's a whole different, another environment, obviously, for children. Um, but I do a lot of libraries. I do a lot of schools. I do a lot of parks. I do a, um, a lot of churches. And these are mostly, most of these people are people with budgets. So um, I guess I have the luxury of kind of saying, here's my fee and um, negotiating that. But uh, for me, and I think for a lot of the kids artists that I know, um, you know, our fees range anywhere from, 300 to up to even a thousand dollars depending on the kind of gig that we're doing um the other thing about what we do too is our sets are not three hours long because kids can't take that much time it's usually it's a 45 minute show I mean, we might do multiple shows uh in the same day but it's it's a 45 minute um set so um 
I do this, this is what I do for a living. It's my full-time gig. I pay my bills this way. I support my family and uh, thankful to be in this genre, I guess, after listening to some of the comments there. So, um, and I guess one, one encouraging thing I would like to offer to other artists would just be maybe to um, maybe find a niche that is um, kind of unique for you and your location, even if you're in a small town, um, to maybe not try to just play the, the normal club type thing. Look, look around and see what else might be out there. So um, that would be focused and uh, be a better return for you. So, all right, well, I'll quit rambling. Thanks. I appreciate what you guys do, and um, I'll keep listening. Thanks a lot. Well, thanks for that call, Chip. Chip's been a longtime listener of the podcast. Excellent. Does, does kids' music. And, yeah, it is interesting to hear how, you know, different – genres go about things differently and how you know he's making a full-time living from it people should go and listen to the dan zanes podcast from long long ago is our first podcast no second podcast i think no i can't remember it's one of the first five you know what i think we need to fix the feed so it shows all the podcasts again so oh for from in itunes yeah because yeah if you go you can get all the podcasts by going to cdbabypodcast.com um, but you may not be able to see them all on iTunes. Yeah, back in uh, some of the, I was going back some of the original ones. There's some good stuff that's still completely 100% relevant. So, so we make evergreen <laughs> material here that's on the right. podcast. Well, we we appreciate everybody weighing in. It's always interesting to hear what artists have to say, especially from different points of the globe and um, how people are making money and just tips and advice and things that are working and things that aren't. Uh, if you'd like to call our listener to line and weigh in on this or the Pandora issue or your thoughts on iTunes radio, you can give us a call at 360-524-2209. Email us at podcast at cdbabypodcast.com or you can leave a comment on the comment section uh, with this episode, which will be posted at cdbabypodcast.com. So it's always great to to hear your feedback, and and uh, there's uh, been some more emails coming in with interesting questions as well. So, I'm also waiting for our first caller to call on who, who actually makes over a million dollars a year um, from their music. So, oh. well, maybe we're out we... there. <laughs> well, I did, I did talk to uh, Duff McKagan, that one interview. Oh, that's so. right. That's right. I don't, I, do you think he makes that much these days? Probably. Oh, yes. The yeah. royalties on that... Guns N' Roses, it still sells like 250,000 copies a year. Oh, okay, the royalties, right. And then the performance royalties. Those are pretty hefty. Those songs are, yeah, yeah. I mean, they don't, they, yeah. So, anyway, yeah. Or, you know, if you have a suggestion for someone that you'd like us to get on the podcast as an interview, I would love those as well, just to kind of get a gauge of uh, where everybody is. I'm headed to CMJ in a couple weeks I'm hoping to grab a bunch of interviews there and at least snag a few people that I've been trying to line up for a while but uh, if you have any suggestions send it our way and we'll try and hook it up so I don't have anything else do you? nope alright keep on rocking that's gonna do it this time yeah. we'll catch you later bye bye you, 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 you've been listening to the CD Baby DIY Musician Podcast broadcasting from Portland, Oregon USA 